Well, anyways, I hope that uh, you will be uh, in prayer for Terry as Terry is recovering. Uh, my grandmother dealt with vertigo. I knew how it threw her for a loop. And uh, it's, it's nothing that, that anybody would ever uh, desire to go through or wish on anybody. It's just a nasty thing. And so I pray that, that he's doing well. And um, also, uh, kind of giving us some direction for today, uh, I thought, you know, when Terry told me he wasn't going to be able to come, I said, well, I'll just try to pick up where he left off. And so I started reading through the book of Acts, and he, t- he took the good part of Acts. And what happens next in the book of Acts is that the church comes under great persecution. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like a good way to end revival. And so I said, well, I'll just... Uh, I'll pick up where I left off when I was given some closing remarks. I worked with uh, these two ladies right here from the Baptist Men today, and uh, they cornered me. So I've got a a four-pound sledgehammer in one hand and about a five-foot crowbar in the other, and they informed me that they were not happy with me. And I, well... That's good, good timing. And I said, well, what's the, what in the world's the matter? They, by the way, they do twice the amount of work as any average individual, uh, fine workers. They said, you told us that we needed to trust you and follow you, and we're leaving tomorrow, and you didn't tell us where we're going. And so we want to know where we're going. And so I thought, you know what, uh, maybe this last uh, night of revival we'll use to kind of paint a, a small picture for you of where we're going. It's not going to be a detailed landscape, uh, but I think that you'll appreciate uh, some of the truth out of God's Word. And so what I want to do is I want to start out by praying for us, and then we'll jump into what we have for tonight. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for His death on the cross for our sins and is rising from the dead to secure eternal life for us. Father, we pray that as a church that we would be laser focused on one mission. And Father, I pray that we would get that mission from your word. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be anything that would ever come about that would sidetrack us from the mission that you gave us. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we open your word and we look at it, I pray that you would uh, convict us to cast off any sin or anything that entangles us and run the race that you've set before us. And so, Father, we pray that we would do all this through you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so Terry's, uh, Terry has been talking about the purpose of the church, right? He's asked you several times, what's the purpose of the church? And he, he hasn't, hadn't quite gotten around to giving you a rock-solid answer yet. I think that the law tonight was going to lead to that. And so if I was to give out a survey... And I've given out a lot of surveys to to youth groups and to youth group parents over the years. And sometimes you can ask what seems like simple questions and people have a difficult time coming up with a concise answer. So if I asked you, if I I handed out a survey and the survey said, what's the purpose of the church? We'd probably have out of a room this size at least 50 different answers, right? Some of you would duplicate, but each person would kind of have a nuanced version of what they thought the church was. If I were to give you the same survey and say, what does it take for a person to be saved? You would be amazed at the different answers that people would give. If I was to to ask, what's the gospel? You would be amazed at what answers people would give. And and everybody gives a different answer. So this is a time where Terry goes, smile, people smile. And he gives this real big smile. I told Jesse the other day, I said, Jesse, I said, I'm afraid that I'm a bit of a Debbie Downer to our congregation compared to Terry. He's worked up, primed, ready to go. I said, man, I'm going to be boring by the time I get to Terry's age. Uh, if I'm already monotone now, it's just going to get worse. But uh, anyways, and so we're talking about what's the purpose of the church. Now, if you were to uh, look up online the purpose of different companies, uh, all of your big companies, all of your laser-focused companies have vision statements, right, or mission statements. 
And the reason you come up with a vision or a mission statement is so that you can be laser focused and you can concentrate on doing exactly what your vision is. Right? So if you're uh, Bill Gates and you make computers, you come up with some sort of vision statement around computers because if your wife comes home one day and says, hey, we should go into the pocketbook making industry. No, we make computers and this is our vision. And so it's important for churches to have vision statements also, of which we don't have one now. And I've been racking my brain for about three years to come up with one. And listen, don't get your hopes up. I'm not going to wheel out a perfect one for you yet. I'm going to give you three that I liked and none of them were satisfactory. And I'm, I'm tweaking the last one. All right. Because the first three that I came up with were robbed from other people. And I felt that they were inadequate for the laser focus that Christ has called us to. And so Google, all of you are familiar with the Google machine, right? You, you pull up your computer, you type in google.com. And what do you see? You see an empty box and the word Google, right? Part of Google's mission is to be painfully simple, right? They don't want things to be too complex. If you listen to the the CEO of Google interviewed, there's thousands of things that people want to put on the homepage of the Google website, but they don't because they have a laser focus. And this is Google's mission statement. Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And so if you're a Google employee, You dial into this mission statement, and that's the sort of stuff you do. You don't worry about all of the other stuff, right? You got one mission, go do it. So just like NASA, what was NASA's mission when most of you were growing up? Get to the moon. Whatever it takes, get to the moon. What about this? We don't care about that. We want to beat Russia to the moon, right? If you were, uh, if you worked at Amazon, Amazon's mission statement is this, to be Earth's most customer-centric company where people can find and discover anything they want to buy online. If you come to my house and you see something cool, just skip the question, where did you get it from? Because the answer is Amazon. Anything that I see that I like, I get on Amazon. Let me take that back. Those of you who own businesses in town, I try to buy as much stuff from you as possible. Even if it costs a little bit more than Amazon, I still try to buy it, right? So, I honest, this is true. This is true. I, I buy some things from the hardware store in town, even though it costs a few more dollars, because I appreciate Alan and the work that he does keeping a hardware store for us in town. And Amazon can't get me stuff in the two minutes it takes me to get to his store, so I value his store. But you can get some really cool stuff on Amazon. You can do all of your Christmas shopping now in your underwear, in your chair. And you don't have to leave the house. The cool thing about Amazon is living in Windsor, it's an hour to Greenville, it's an hour to Elizabeth City, it's an hour to all of the places where we shop. If you just stay in your chair, they'll ship it to you overnight for $4 extra. Right? That's part of their mission. To be customer-centric, where people can find and discover anything they want to buy online. I've bought everything from fishing lures to car parts to Christmas presents, you name it. That's their mission. Anything you want, we're going to sell it to you, and we're going to be focused on the customer. So you ask, what about XYZ? What about all these other things? If it doesn't have to do with being customer-centric and anything you want to buy online, you're not going to have anything to do with it. There's a couple more. If you went to Starbucks, their mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. 
That sounds pretty good, right? It's a pretty good mission. If you went to Twitter, Twitter's the annoying thing where people talk to each other. I've never sent the first one, but this is their mission. To give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. And that's what they do. So is Twitter going to be dabbling and selling things? No, that's not what they do. They're all about distribution of information. McDonald's. McDonald's brand mission is to be our customer's favorite place and way to eat and drink. There's a company called Life is Good. You've seen all the hats and stuff like that. Spreading the power of optimism. Life is not perfect. Life is not easy. Life is good. And so all of these companies have laser-focused missions. And when Terry asked, what's the purpose of the church? You probably went, ooh, good question. Because you've got a hundred different people. They have a hundred different ideas. And so what I want to do is I want to jump in to God's word in Matthew chapter 28. This is a verse that you guys have heard countless times, hopefully. But I want to pull something very specific from it. This is Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 18. So Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead. Now he's shown back up and he's talking to his disciples minus Judas. And verse 18 of chapter 28 says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is good, right? Jesus is now risen from the dead and all authority has been given to him. So whatever he says next, you better camp out on. Because when, when somebody comes to you and says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, you better listen to what he says. And this is what he says next. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so they're told to do one thing. They're told to make disciples. Right? And we've got some other, for all of you English folks out there, there's one command. That's to make disciples. It's got three what you call participles around it, right? We're going back to English class a little bit. Go, let me make sure I get them all, baptize, and teach. But you're only told to make one thing, make disciples. All of you guys who worked for Warehouser, you didn't make pocketbooks, right? You didn't make shoes, you didn't make work boots, you made wood products, and from what I can tell, you made doggone good wood products. Can I get an amen? Yes. You were focused. You had a mission. You made wood products. You didn't dabble in a bunch of other things. And so if I was to ask you, what's the purpose of the church? I would hope that you would go to this verse right here. And you would read it. And you would say, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And you go, well, okay. That sounds... Uh, that sounds new, modern, hip, cool. We've been doing that for years. Have we been doing that for years? Is a good question to ask. If we were to gauge the church on its success, how would we gauge the church? Right? So look around now and, and ask yourself, how are, how are we doing as a church? And I don't want to get negative here, but I want to talk about how you keep score in church. Right? You guys are all competitive, right? You like to keep score. Most of the time, I'm still wrestling with rugby, right? We love to watch rugby. And I especially like watching rugby with TiVo because you can rewind it and watch these guys just absolutely obliterate each other. But 
we're not exactly, sometimes we rewind it because we have no idea how to keep score in rugby, right? You guys probably don't watch too much rugby. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty intricate scoring system. Different things you do, you get different points for. Anyways, the bottom line is when you play golf, what do you do? You get a scorecard because you want to know how you did. Well, how do you keep score in church? Is it our job to score more points than Edgewood? Is that the goal? Do we just look at what we're doing? Look at Edgewood, look at Green's Cross, look across to some other churches and go, <laughs> we're kicking your butt. That's what we're doing. We're winning. We're winning. Like, we don't really know what we're, what we're basing this on, but we, we filled up our box more than you filled up your box, so we're winning. Like, when you look around now, it feels like we're doing pretty good, right? We shut those back doors. <laughs> right? And so, is the, is the goal of the church to fill up the church? Is that our mission? If our mission as a church is to fill up our box, why don't we just build a smaller box and give this one to someone else? And then we win every Sunday. Does our mission stop when we fill this box up? When we look around and go, hey, we got the box full. We've done pretty good. We're doing good. We, we filled up our box. So if you have a small box, like, say, some of the other churches in town, and they filled theirs up, and maybe we're not filling ours up, why don't we trade boxes with them? And we can both be winning. You following me? So, so what do we do? What do we gauge ourselves on as a church to see how we're doing? What's the grading system? If I had to tell you my opinion, I would say the grading system is how are you doing at making disciples? And if I was to hand out a survey and said, what is a disciple? Many of you would probably have various responses as to what a disciple is. Remember we talked about in a couple sermons, it seems like a long time ago, went through a whole sermon series on Christian, what it means to be Christian. And we said that the word Christian isn't anywhere in the Bible except for two times. And both times it's used negatively. But whenever Jesus calls people, he calls them to be his disciples. There's verses in scripture that say, if you want to be my disciple, sell all you have and come follow me. If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross, deny yourself and come follow me. And we said that in our society, it's easy to be Christian because we've just made up whatever definition we wanted for Christian so that we can feel good about ourselves. But the word disciple is incredibly scary because the word disciple is defined very well in Scripture. And sometimes we want to be a Christian, but whoa, we didn't sign up for all that discipleship stuff that Jesus is talking about. But I would tell you that if we're going to keep score, if we're going to figure out if we're winning or losing, you base whether you're winning or losing on how are you doing as the body of Christ in making disciples. I was part of a church that was uh, probably five or six times the size of Kashai as a youth pastor. I was there for three and a half years, and things started to go really sour towards the end. And the pastor's idea was to bring in a church consultant to tell us, you know, how to get things on the rebound. And so the church consultant looked the pastor in the eye and said, what do you do when a child walks forward and makes a decision to follow Christ? What's your plan for that child to grow up and be a disciple and be a fully devoted follower of Christ in when they become an adult? You ever thought about stuff like this? That's how you keep score as a church. What are you doing? What are we doing to disciple people? Is discipleship coming to church 
Is discipleship joining a Sunday school class? Is discipleship simply reading your Bible? And I would say no. That none of those things are the, the answer to what a, the end product of a disciple is. And so, let me get back to the text real quick. And so the, the mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so when you lead someone to Christ, which you should actively be doing, right? You should actively, as Terry's been saying, you should have people on your radar screen, co-workers, family members, that you're actively praying for and trying to win them to Christ. And when you win them to Christ, what do you do with them? Go talk to the preacher. He'll tell you the next step. That's not making a disciple. It's your job. Your job as a member of Kashai Baptist Church is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded us. And so when you win someone to Christ, your next job isn't to automatically invite them to come talk to me, to automatically invite them to Sunday school, invite them to men's breakfast and all this other stuff. Your job after you lead them to Christ is to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded us. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has been taught to obey all the things that Jesus commanded. Well, how do I know what Jesus commanded? You get in the book and you read exactly what Jesus commanded. And you teach them to obey what he told them. Really? So it's not really, I didn't mean to say really. I mean, it seems pretty easy, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's harder than I thought. Maybe I underestimated it. But no, that's it. That's how you make a disciple. And so I want you to see a key characteristic of a disciple that's the missing link in the church. And so we're going to go back and we're going we're gonna to cover a whole bunch of qualities that disciples have. But I want you to see the key quality that I think is missing. And that's the missing link for revival. Okay? One of the reasons I think that revival doesn't hit the American church is because what do we do as a church... If 50 people who were lost visited this service and got saved, what do we do as a church with 50 brand new Christians? And if your answer is tell them to come to church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning and tell them to come to Sunday school at 10 o'clock, that's not being obedient to the commands of Christ. If 50 people came to our church and they got saved, I should be able to say, James, you take one. Randy, you take one. All of you guys take one and disciple them. I don't know how to disciple somebody. Teach them to obey the things that Jesus commanded us. That's, I didn't sign up for that. You didn't sign up for that. Jesus commanded you to do that. And if you say things like, I can't do it. That's not my gift. You sound just like a child when you send them to get something and they go, I can't find it. I don't know where it is. I can't reach it. And my answer is always, if it was a piece of bubble gum, you'd find it. Isn't that my answer, boys? I'm not going to tell you what my answer would be to you, but my answer is you were commanded to do it. And if you come up with any reason that you can't do it, You're just like that child whining to his father that can't find something that he was told to do. I don't know how you were raised, but when dad says something in our house, it's action time. We do it. When Jesus says something in the scripture for the church, it's action time. 
we do it. And he has given us the commandment to go and make disciples. And so I want you to see kind of uh, somehow I managed to leave the rest of my notes in my office. And so forgive me, but I think that I can remember the mission statements that I liked. So the college that I went to when I got my graduate degree, their slogan was really good. It was to know him and make him known, right? To know him and make him known. And I bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. I thought, that is a great mission statement for a church. To know him, to know God, right? And to make him known. Like, that's awesome. You know what it lacks? Discipleship. It's not enough for us to know Jesus and to make him known. Right? That's what we've been doing, and it's not working. I'm talking about as a church in America. Right? It's not just enough to make him known. If it's just enough to make him known, let's get on the radio, let's get on TV, and let's just broadcast it everywhere. But that's not the mission. Right? The mission isn't to go and make converts. The mission isn't to go get the word out. The mission is to go and make disciples. Right? You haven't done the mission till you have a finished product. And how do you know if you have a finished product? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. So, when I got looking at discipleship, I said, well, shucks, let's just throw to know him and make him known out. And so there's another one that I like. You guys remember when the Pharisee comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love your neighbor as yourself, or excuse me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I've seen some churches that I really thought a lot of, their, their mission statement is love God and love others. And man, I like that, right? If I had a church that loved God, and loved others, man, that would be a, a group of people that I would really want to be around. But if we're going to be laser focused, it's not enough to love God and to love others because you're not accomplishing the mission unless you're making disciples. And so whatever your mission statement is has to be about making disciples. And so I've got a, a piece of glass in my office that I use as a whiteboard and I have the purpose of the church is dot, dot, dot. And right now, it says, make disciples next to it. Like, I feel like I need to class it up some, right? In order to be laser focused and be like on the leading edge and, and hip and cool in Windsor, North Carolina, right? But that's the mission. The mission is to make disciples. And so, look and see. We're going to go over the book of John. And we're in John chapter 15. We're going to come back to John in a minute. I've got five scriptures that we're going to turn to. Before we wrap up, we're not going to spend a lot of time in each one. This is John chapter 15, verse 1. It says this. I, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So if I pass out a survey and said, brothers and sisters, what does it mean? 
as believers in Christ, what does it mean to bear fruit? I would get a bunch of different answers. You probably can think of when John the Baptist said, uh, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So one of the ways we can bear fruit is in repentance. One of the ways that we can bear fruit, you've heard that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all those other ones. And so all of those are fruits of the Spirit. Or excuse me, all of those are the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want you to see, flip over to Romans chapter 1. Kind of keep your hand in the book of John because we're coming back to John chapter 4. And so the word fruit is used several different ways. If you go a couple books to the right, Romans chapter 1. We're in verse 11. Paul's writing a book to the Romans. And he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 11. He says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and, and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So then he says, I am under obligation, verse 14, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul's purpose in going to Rome is that he could bear much fruit in Rome. He wanted to see Gentiles saved in Rome, and that's the fruit that he wanted to bear. And so oftentimes bearing fruit is leading people to Christ. Okay? And so this fruit analogy is often used. Terry mentioned it before. He talked about uh, us being fruit, fruit having seeds. Seeds go into the ground, they're planted, and then they grow up. You following me? Bearing fruit is reproducing yourself as a Christian, right? Or as a disciple. And so it's not just enough for you to lead someone to Christ, which is what we've settled for. The end goal is that you reproduce yourself in Christ. So you don't just lead them to Christ and then that's it. Now you're the preacher's problem, pal. No. You duplicate yourself. And you say, well maybe I shouldn't duplicate myself. Maybe you shouldn't get your act together and get yourself where you're duplicatable. Following me? We're teaching on Wednesday night one time. And we're talking about repentance. We're talking about walking in faith. And someone asked a question. I've never been asked this question before. It caught me off guard a little bit. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about sin. And someone says, you, if you were here on Wednesday night, you probably remember who it was. They said, don't we ever get to a point where we can stop repenting? And I realized at that point that I was preaching repentance as an end goal. I was preaching being without sin as the final product. Being without sin isn't the final product. Making disciples is the final product. Repentance is like spring training for baseball, right? You work out, you hit the gym, you start running laps so that you can get fast, so that you can be qualified to be on the team. And then when you're on the team, they put you in the game. Being in the game is making disciples. Repentance is spring training to get you qualified and physically ready to be in the game. You following me? If I've ever led you to believe that the end goal is repentance and you being perfect as God is perfect, 
sincere apologies from me. The end goal is for you to duplicate yourself in making disciples. You being, you repenting is what makes you qualified to do those things. And so Paul clearly says in Romans that bearing fruit is what he wants to do in Rome. And he's talking about leading souls to Christ. Now back to John chapter 4. I want to make a little bigger case for this before we wrap up. John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 31. And I think what you're going to find is that you're going to find the very last passage that we turn to super, super encouraging. That's where I want to end up. I don't want to say, hey, we're doing it all wrong. I want to leave here encouraging you, telling you that we're going to move forward, laser-focused making disciples, and I want to give you some encouragement along the way. John chapter 4, verse 31. This is after Jesus has been talking to the woman at the well. And the disciples have gone to get him some food because they didn't have anything to eat. John chapter 4 verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Right? So he's already fed 5,000. Or he hasn't, maybe he hasn't fed the 5,000 yet. But so he's got food that they don't know about. And the disciples are like, what? Is he stashing food away? And verse 33, he says, or says, So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the one is the one. The saying is true: one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And so he says in verse thirty-six: He who reaps is reaping wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. And so you find that when you are leading souls to Christ, you are bearing fruit, receiving rewards for eternal life. And just a reminder. When I was in John chapter 15 and we were talking about he's divine or, or he's divine were the branches. Listen to that last piece in John 15 verse 8. He said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so brothers and sisters, when we're keeping score, when we're trying to figure out how you keep score in church. You keep score by making disciples. And when you make disciples, then you are proving that you are his. You prove that you're the Lord's when you reproduce yourself spiritually. And that's what we're after. Now let's keep going. And we're going to go over to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're only going to be there for a second. Philippians chapter 1, it's a couple books to the right. It's Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. And Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 21. Paul says a verse that you've all heard a hundred times or more. He says in 121, for me to, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. 
But I am hard-pressed from both direction, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And so Paul's in prison, and he says, to live, he says, like, I'd just like to die right now. Like, I'm in prison, I'm in stocks and bonds. Listen, to live for me is Christ, to die is gain. And so he's recognizing that if he lives, he's going to win people to Christ, right? It's more fruitful that he live. It's more profitable for him if he die. And he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so what Paul realizes is that no matter if he's in prison, no matter where life takes him, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so what that means is that all of us, with our lives, need to be in fruitful pursuit of following Christ. Like Everything that we do with our lives, every single decision that comes your way, ought to revolve around people coming to know Christ. And so, what do you do when winds are floods? I gotta go to work. How's that gonna lead people to Christ? Well, maybe it's not. Okay, so maybe you take off work so that you can help people, and then when you're helping people, you can then lead them to Christ. And when you do that, it knocks people's socks off because they go, why in the world is this person who could make so much money at work taking off from work and helping me? That begins to be the question. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so now we're going to flip over a couple pages to the right to the book of Colossians. This is Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. And I'm going to read a kind of a a big passage, uh, 3 through 8. And then we're going to walk through 9 through 14 because I think it sums up what we want to do. And so you're welcome to read along with me or you're welcome to just listen. This is Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. And so listen, so the fruit of the gospel has gone out and it's constantly been increasing since they heard it. So how has fruit been constantly increasing since they heard it? They've been taking it to others who needed to hear it also, right? They've been giving the hope that they have in Christ to other people also, right? They've been making disciples. And he says, just as you learned it from Ephesus, our brother, fellow bondservant, who is faithful, servant of Christ on our behalf, he also informed us of your love in the spirit. And so our, our boy Ephesus told you about Christ, and then he told you about the love that you had for other people in the Spirit and how you've been bearing fruit. This is the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. And so Paul, writing the letter to the Colossians, says in in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so when we found out that's what you were doing, when we found out that you received the gospel and that the gospel was bearing fruit in your lives and you were leading other people to Christ, this is what we did. We didn't stop praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We knew you were going to need spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if you're here and you think, boy, I'd love to make a disciple, but I have 
No idea how to do it. The book of James says, he who lacks wisdom should ask. And he should ask not doubting so that he's not like a ship without a sail, right? It's kind of the gist of it. And so if, instead of making excuses about making disciples, pray, ask for wisdom. Because Paul was praying for these people that they'd have knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that also, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Since you have the gospel and since it's bearing fruit, you need to, I need to be praying for you. This is Paul to the Colossians. I need to be praying that you would be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. And so he says, listen. The fruit of the gospel went to you and it's been reproducing, right? It's been going around. And he says, now my prayer for you is that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and that you would also be, what's the exact word that he used? That you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You want to know what helps you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord more than anything else? Lead somebody to Christ that's close to you. And they look into your life and they ask you questions. Hey, so-and-so, remember you led me to Christ and, man, my life's been a lot better. Hey, but, but I'm watching. Why do you do that thing that you do? Why do you, why do you talk bad about that person behind their back? I didn't make eye contact with anybody when I said that. Why do you, why do, you do that? Why do, you, why do you try to get away with as little as possible at work? Why do you... Spend your money the way that you spend your money. It seems that if we were truly following Christ the way that you told me following Christ was like, you would be doing things differently. Why do you do that? That'll get you in ship shape real quick. Lead somebody to Christ. You duplicate yourself. And when they ask you the why question, you not be dumbstruck and have an answer for them. And so Paul knows this. And so he says, listen, as the fruit of the gospel has been going forward, as you've been bearing fruit, my prayer for you has been that you would increase in knowledge and that you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Don't you feel like that's what you need to make disciples? Like, like if I told you that I've got a person that you need to disciple, you would probably say something like, I need to know more. I need to have more knowledge. You would probably say something like, My life doesn't look like it should look in order for me to do that. And Paul says, duh, that's why I'm praying for you that you'd be filled with knowledge. And that's why I'm praying for you that your life would be worthy of the gospel. So Paul recognizes this. And then check this out. This is one of the things that I think totally cripples the church from making disciples. Satan gets in our heads. And he says things like, you suffered with addiction. You struggle with pornography. You had a couple bad marriages. Who are you to tell anybody else how they should live in certain ways? Who are you to do that? And I hear, I hear this in real life. People who have walked through things and they don't feel like they've been forgiven of their past. 
I heard a survey that was absolutely startling, and this is one of the few things that really brought me to emotions as a pastor. It said that over 75% of people in your congregations don't feel forgiven of their sin. It's a statistic. I'm not making it up. I read it somewhere. 75% of people don't feel forgiven of their sin. Now, wonder we're not doing more for the kingdom because we're all wrestling with guilt that Satan's brought our way. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross... For your sin and my sin, he took all of it. And so whatever your past looked like, it's gone now. It's been nailed to the cross, and you've been set free from all of that junk. Okay? Whatever you did yesterday, if you've repented of it, it's been forgiven you, and you don't bother with it anymore. You just move forward doing the right thing from here on out. Right? That's forgiveness. And so check this out. He says in verse 9, So since the day we heard that you're doing what you're supposed to do, we haven't stopped praying for you that you be filled with knowledge and that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him, bearing all sorts of fruit, strengthened with all power. That's verse 11. And joy and all of those other things. And then listen to this. He says in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father, listen to this, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It doesn't matter how you feel about your sins that have been forgiven. You didn't qualify yourself. God qualified you. And when God puts his stamp of approval on you, you're approved. And you don't need to wrestle with anybody or anything telling you that you're not approved. And so you need to just repent of whatever was going on before. And you need to move forward forgetting about any of it that had ever happened. And you need to move forward knowing that you're qualified to do the things that God called you to. Why? Because he's the quality assurance guy and he put his stamp of quality on you. He assured you. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Jesus took all of your sin and shame and he imputed to you Christ's righteousness. And so... You've been saved, you've been washed in the blood, you've been all of those other revival terms, you've been all those things, and he stamped approved on you, and when you got off the assembly line, you're like, I just don't feel like I got it together. Can you imagine how frustrating it must be to be God, to have a group of people who you've approved and you've qualified to do a job, and they're like, I just don't know, that's not me. Man, that's got to be frustrating. And so, brothers and sisters, you are qualified to do everything that he's calling you to do. Step out in faith and do it. And then he goes on. So it says, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so let's just say that you you don't feel up to the task. God qualified you. And let's say that you still just don't feel like it's right. God took you from the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light. And the last section says, In him who we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so listen, it doesn't matter how you feel. You're forgiven because he qualified you and he forgave you and he did all of that not just so that you'll sit down and you'll come to church on sunday morning and that you'll come to prayer meeting on wednesday night he did that so that you would go into the world and reproduce yourself 
So you feel unqualified because of whatever happened in your life? Let me tell you what. You're going to run into some people who have more messed up lives than you are. And God's going to use whatever junk that you walked through in your life to encourage somebody else along. That the God that forgave you can forgive them also. And God's going to use all of those things that you think are disqualifying you. He's going to use those as arrows in your quiver to help people grow closer to him. And brothers and sisters, if if we want revival, we've got to stop making excuses. And we have got to be laser focused with making disciples. With duplicating ourselves. And when I see you discipling other people. I'm going to pray for you even more that you'd be filled with knowledge. I'm going to pray for you even more that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm going to pray for you even more for all of those things because I know that you're diligently trying to bring someone along to replicate yourself and make a disciple like Jesus commanded you to do. And so what's on the table now is that if you want to take the next step and you think, man, I'd, maybe I'd be interested in making a disciple, but I'd like for somebody to walk me through the process first. If you're here and you're a man, I'll walk you through it. I'll walk you through it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you about three weeks in, I'm going to encourage you to walk your wife through it. And then about six or eight weeks in, I'm going to encourage you to find somebody else and you want you to disciple somebody else. And you go, I don't know about all that. I'm going to help you do it. I'm not going to be there when you do it, but I'm going to be there and I'm going to show you everything that you need to know to bring somebody else along. And you go, I don't want to do that. That's discipleship. When you bring somebody along with you, I don't know how to find somebody, lead somebody to the Lord and bring them along. I don't know anybody who needs to be led to the Lord. Liar. Like we all do, right? Like we all know people who need to be led to the Lord. Let me tell you the prayers that have been answered more than anything else in my life. Lord, bring somebody my way that I can share the gospel with. And I told you that one day a friend of mine, it was, we used to go to Hardee's when Hardee's first opened. Not like way back in the 50s and 60s when you went to Hardee's, but like at like 5 o'clock in the morning, right? At like 5 o'clock in the morning. Some of you guys were late to the party, but that's okay. Uh-huh. So... We would go to Hardy's and, uh, me and his friend, we would, we would hold each other accountable for different things in our life. And I told you that I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to tell this guy about Christ who was in line. This guy was, was nothing to look at. He looked like a homeless guy. And I, I really just thought he'd ask me for money if I said anything to him. And so I breached the conversation about Christ. And I asked him, you know, some of the simple questions that, hey, if, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Like, that's all I asked him. And the guy started to cry. It's like, oh, great, here we go again. Like, I don't do good with, I don't do good with some of that stuff. And so his hand is in his pocket and he pulls out a track that was in his hand. And he said, it's a Romans road track. And he said, I've been reading this and I've been hoping that someone could explain it to me. <laughs> Easy. Give me the track. I'll tell you exactly what the thing says. Right? So I'm praying that God would send us somebody to lead to Christ. We breach the conversation. And the man pulls out something he's been reading and doesn't understand. And we lead him to Christ. In Hardee's. At like 5.30 in the morning. When nobody should be awakened at Hardee's. Right? But we were. Brothers and sisters. I've been dragging my feet about this discipleship thing. For a long time. 
And this is what I've been wrestling with. And you're going to think I'm crazy. I've been wrestling with who do I ask to walk through this with? Who do I ask? And a name would come to mind and I would think, I don't have anything to offer that person. And I'm, I'm your pastor, right? Like you brought me here to lead us spiritually. And what I'm wrestling with in my mind, what Satan's got me is that you don't have anything to offer those folks. They're not going to want to do it. And so the Lord laid two people on my heart that I asked about this discipleship thing. And when I had a conversation with one of them, do you know how the conversation ended? And so we talked fishing, we talked hunting, we talked everything. We probably talked for like an hour at lunch. And then I breached the conversation of discipleship. And it didn't, didn't lead into it as discipleship. I just said, hey, can I walk with you through some things that the Lord's been showing me? And uh, I think that you'd find them really helpful. Do you know what the person said next? The person said, I was hoping that you were going to ask me something like that. And so for a year, I've been wrestling in my mind with, Nobody wants you to disciple them. Nobody wants you to do that. And when I breached the subject, the Holy Spirit's got things lined up where the individual says, I was hoping you were going to ask something like that. Listen, I've walked through this discipleship material with a guy that Terry introduced me to. And I watched, I did it with a, a group of other pastors. And I've been watching those pastors do this in their church. And they're saying, listen, it doesn't make any sense. It seems way too simple what we're walking through, but the Holy Spirit is all over it and it's changing things in ways that you wouldn't even imagine. I just said change, I probably lost half of you, but towards being laser focused and making disciples. And so if you're a man, the offer on the table is I'll take you where I'm telling us that we need to go if you'll ask me. And it may not be that I'm the one that takes you there. It may be that somebody I've walked through it can take you there. Because one of the problems that the Catholic Church ran into is that they kept the Bible in a language that nobody understood. And so they had kind of what you would call a hired holy man syndrome. Where the pastor is the only one who understood things. And without, a, without, the, without the priest leading the church, you didn't know what to do because you couldn't read the scriptures. We don't want to do that in Baptist circles. I'm not the only one that can make disciples. So... I want to train some of you guys. I want you guys to branch out and train some other guys. Then I want you all to lead your coworkers to Christ. And I don't care if they come to our church or not. I want you to disciple them. And when you disciple them, they'll get plugged into a Bible-believing church somewhere. And listen to this. This is the statistic, okay? If, if from this point forward, somebody in our church came to Christ every day for four years straight, Right? That's 365 times 4. Somebody go. Roughly 1,300 and some change, 1,400. Okay? Roughly. If we made, if I started today and I made one disciple, and every six months those disciples made another disciple, at the end of four years, we'd be even. And at the end of six years, there'd be about... Seven or 8,000 more disciples made the hard way in making disciples than just converts each day. Okay? This is not glamorous what I'm selling to you. It's biblical. It's what God told us to do. And whenever anybody did what God told them to do, God equipped them. God told a man, get out of a boat in the middle of the water, and he walked on water. Right? That's crazy. 
Jesus told us that he had all authority in heaven and on earth. And in the very next sentence, he said, go and make disciples. Brothers and sisters, it's important to him. Making disciples is the game. Okay? That's what we need to be busy about. And so I want to close this in prayer. And during our time of invitation, I want you to just, uh, I want you to, I don't care if you come forward. I don't care how you go about praying. I'm not looking for a, a massive altar call. But what I want us to genuinely think through is that if any of us here have not duplicated ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, then we have gone this much of our life in disobedience to the Lord. Right? I'm not saying that as a, as a rod of chastening. I'm saying that as a, hey, from this point forward, this is where we're going. Okay? This is what we need to be doing. And remember, we said, if you don't feel up for it, he's qualified you. He's forgiven you of your sin. There's nothing he won't forgive. And so don't wrestle with guilt and any of that stuff. Be forgiven and roll on. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that all authority was given to you in heaven and on earth. And Father, I thank you that right after you said that, you gave us a painfully easy statement, and that is to make disciples. Father, I pray that we would be a church that does just that. Lord, I pray that we would not be consumed with simply leading people to Christ. I pray that we wouldn't be consumed with inviting people to church, inviting people to Sunday school, to different programs that we have. Lord, I pray that you would consume us and convict us to make disciples. I pray that we would be a church that is filled with knowledge, that is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I pray that we're replicating ourselves in the same manner that Paul told the believers to follow him as he follows Christ. I pray that that same thing would be something that any of us on any given day could tell someone who's a new believer in Christ to follow me as I follow Christ. God, I pray that you would bless what we're about to put our hands to. Father, I pray that you would take the little bit that we have to offer and make something great out of it. Father, for those of us who are here, who have yet to make a disciple or have yet to replicate ourselves, spiritually speaking, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to move forward going in the direction you've called us to go. And we pray all of this in the name that is above every other name, and that's Jesus. Amen. John is going to lead us in our hymn of invitation. If you would stand with us. If there's any business that you'd like to do with the Lord or anything that the Lord's laid on your heart to pray about, I'd love to pray for you. James would love to pray for you. Or you're welcome to bypass both of us and go to the Lord directly himself. And uh, you don't have to tell us what you're praying about. But anything that uh, you would like to do during this time of invitation, feels, feel free to have the liberty. John? Uh, first, I want to thank you for not leaving when you found out Terry wasn't going to be here. That means more to me than you could ever imagine. Glad that you stayed. Also, uh, even though I'm running the risk of them shooting me, um, want to thank uh, Bill Powell and Steve Jilcott for cooking that awesome barbecue. Uh, they did a real good job. It takes a long time to cook barbecue like that, so I'm uh, incredibly grateful for those guys. Now they're really going to shoot me. Thank you. Um, I hope that the Lord's been working uh, in your life. Uh, I know he has been in mine. I pray that uh, despite the busyness of this season of life for us with the flood and everything else, that uh, I pray that the Lord will bless the time that you took to get away from everything and to come hear his word preached. It always goes a long ways. 
Um, I wanted to let you know that there was a lady here last night uh, who had rededicated her life uh, about a week before revival and wanted to come to revival, uh, I guess, to make it official. And so, uh, you know, we had been having cottage prayer meetings and things like that. And so in the midst of all of this, there's people who weren't here who we've been trying to reach who the Lord is doing things in their lives. And so you can't always see what the Lord's up to in somebody's life um, unless they make a public profession of faith. And so be encouraged that the Lord is doing all sorts of things amongst you. As always, I wish that there was a... There was a way that I could share with you all of the things that I, I get to know and hear, uh, but just because of the nature of it, I'm not. But be encouraged. There's a lot of great things going on around us spiritually, and I'm encouraged. I love you guys. I treasure being your pastor. I look forward to what the Lord's got in store for us. And uh, I'm going to ask, let me see, Jack Powell, would you close out our revival with a prayer?